If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you're not there yet, we began a study some weeks ago on this Old Testament character, Elijah, a prophet. And, uh, and, and talking with many of you, you've enjoyed this series. Um, we're together learning a lot of, from his life, and it's no different this morning. And I kind of left you last week on a cliffhanger on purpose, uh, so we could focus on this particular portion of the story. Um, but before we do anything, though, um, I think we really need to pray, and so let's do that. Father, I thank you for, as we sang, your presence here. Without your presence, without your spirit, what we're about to do um, is fruitless. We need your spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears. We need your spirit to help us understand what these truths mean to us today. And Lord, we know from your word that this Old Testament, what we read, is, was written to instruct us and encourage us and ultimately that we might have hope. Give us hope this morning. Give us eyes to see in the spiritual realm beyond our circumstances. And Lord, I pray for each person here that you would just connect with them with their mind, Lord, with their heart, help them to receive what you have for them. Young and old, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have followed Elijah's life, uh, we have seen his spirit rise. We have seen God equip him, prepare him. Um, God had a hand on Elijah's life. He had a ministry. And um, God prepared him. God took some time, if you remember, uh, took him aside where he, was, he nourished, provided for him, taught him that God was all sufficient one. He would provide for him. He then led him to Zarephath, which was, uh, he was a wanted man, Elijah. The king, a wicked king, Ahab, his wife, incredibly wicked, Jezebel. Uh, they were after the prophets of God, and right now Elijah is the only one, and uh, he has a price tag on his head. And so there he goes to Zarephath, Jezebel's hometown. God leads him there, and there he's hanging out, probably looking over his shoulder, thinking, where are they at? They're going to come get me. All of a sudden, God says, okay, now's the time, Ahab, or, or Jez, um, Elijah, I want you to go meet Ahab. And so they meet. This king who's trying to kill Elijah, there they are. Elijah says, okay, Ahab, showdown. Here's what, I, here's what I think we should do. Why don't you get 450 of your best prophets, Baal prophets, get them, and, and, and let's, let's come together and let's have a showdown. And so all the people come and they bring some of the general public, uh, Israel, um, who's kind of been led astray into idolatry, and they're all there. And Elijah says, okay, you build an altar and you put on it your offerings and you cry out to your God to send fire down. And I'll do the same thing. And the one who answers by fire, the, the true God. The people said, great idea. Let's do it. And so they do it. And last week we talked about those 450 prophets were crying out, became maniacal, and they're just cutting themselves all day long. They're crying out, Baal, answer, answer. And the text tells us multiple times there was nothing. No answer, no voice, no response, nothing. And then Elijah says, verse 30, let's read verse 30 to 40. 
Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood, and cut the ox in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. God has so ordered his world that there are many things he will not do in the life of a believer apart from prayer. I mean, prayer is a conduit in which we connect to the living God. And God releases blessings when we pray. That's how he's ordered it. And we see in this encounter some really significant lessons on prayer. It kind of gets lost beneath the miracle of it all. Let's look at the first thing we read, as we just read right now, is about courageous prayer. I want you to notice the confidence and expectation Elijah speaks with. Now remember, Elijah's not like this has happened before. It's not like Elijah has looked back and said, you know what, there's circumstances happened before. I'll do the same thing that was done before. This has never been done before. Just like his other miracle, where he raised his son from the dead. That wasn't done either. And so he comes here. Man, I mean, I try to put myself in his shoes. I'm like, this is confidence. He calls everybody near. He says, come here. You got to check this out, because it's about to happen. And so he gets them all here, and, he's, and there's courage. is amazing. And notice what he does, though, first. Come near to me. So all the people came near, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, probably what Jezebel tore down, which had been torn down. And so he, in front of all the prophets, Ahab, all the people, he rebuilds the altar. Good question. Why? Why rebuild the altar? Remember the altar... And sacrifices that were be offered on the altar was a means of coming in communion with God. In other words, it was to come to God on his terms. Elijah understood that. He rebuilt the altar, and he knew that there was only access to God through God's terms, which was bring an offering, a sacrifice to pay for your sin. You know, see, God doesn't have many access codes 
There's one access that came through sacrifice. And the beautiful thing about being a Christian in Christ, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the perfect sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice. And to a certain degree, this previews and foreshadows that. An altar's rebuilt by Elijah to come to God on his terms. This is really the preparation of prayer. When we go to prayer, we need to get right with God. We need to come to God on his terms through Christ. Elijah does that. And then he takes 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Uh, 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 really, at this point, a fact that underscored God's displeasure with this disunity of the 12, the 12 tribes being split and divided. His people had clearly forgotten that God was a covenant God. And he called his people into a unity because God never works in disunity. To disunify is to cut the, the power. It's to cut the, the circuit, if I may. And so the 12, tri- the 12 stones are laid out to remind people of the covenant, remind people of the promises of God, that he, was, he had called a people to himself. And he was working to continually call a people to himself, back to him. And then verse 32 through 35. Now, if, if you're going to build an altar that you want to light on fire, the very last thing you're going to do is douse it in water. I just love this. I, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of in your face, but it, it's kind of like, you know what, I'm going to make this as hard as possible. I'm going to remove any thought that there was some trickery behind this. That's like if you've ever seen some of these magicians or illusionists and, uh, and at one time they had this guy on TV and he, he kind of had a mask on and he was telling how all these things were done. I especially was intrigued how they can make an elephant disappear. That's not, but it was pretty amazing when he shared all that. And, uh, but Elijah's going to remove any chance that this is an illusion or trickery. He says, I want you to douse this altar over and over and I almost when I get to verse 34, almost sense a pause and Elijah saying, you know what, do it a third time. You just, just drench that bad boy, because this is going to be cool. And so it's drenched. And as you get to verse 36 and 37, I want you to contrast Elijah's prayer with the prayer of these 450 prophets. I mean, they're screaming, cutting, howling, dancing, trying to get the attention of Baal. Elijah's prayer is simple. It's courageous. Came about at the time of the offering. Elijah, a prophet, came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. I am your servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. What a bold prayer. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. The first thing that struck me is when I read that is, when's the last time I prayed like that? Like, God, would you answer this prayer, not so I could get something out of it. God, would you answer this prayer so that people would know that you are the true God? I wonder how, how often have you prayed that? That that's been your motivation. Not God provide this because I need this necessarily, or not do this uh, because there'd be uh, earthly benefit, 
But God, would you so move in this situation that the community, that my friends, that my relatives would know that you're the true God? Would you do it for that reason, God? I thought, what a great challenge to my motivation for prayer. But there's three things out of this prayer that I think the people at this time that were there needed to see and that they needed to know. One is that thou art the God of Israel. One reason God answers is so we would proclaim he is God. And that he was the God of Israel and all them people who'd been led astray by idolatry who were there. Elijah says, listen, this is the true God. And he's chosen Israel. And so if you're sitting there worshiping these 450 prophets, what are you doing? How could you be doing that? There's one true God. He's the God of Israel. But there's another thing the people needed to know, and that was Elijah was their servant. It was God's servant. Matter of fact, if you go back to verse 22, Elijah says, I'm the only one left. I'm at 450 verses 1. I'm the only guy. (laughs) And Lord... Let these people know, Elijah says, that, that I serve you. I, I mean, what, I'm not sure why all the reasons why Elijah prayed that. But I think, one, for protection. That God, that if these people should think they're going to mess with me, let them know they're messing with you. <laughs> because I, I'm with you. Now, that's the best place to latch yourself, right? Latch yourself with God. You want to mess with the servant? You're messing with my God. And so I'm sure that created a little hesitancy. We better back off here. I'm sure Ahab's thinking, whew, what, what, am I, what was I thinking? And I'm sure there's hesitancy. And we'll talk about his wife next week. But Ahab and all the people recognize in this moment what's about to happen, if it happens, is that God is God. And that Elijah's the servant. And the third thing, amazing, maybe this is the greatest miracle of all what Elijah's praying is that thou has turned their heart back again. I mean, it's one thing to send fire to lick up an altar. It's another thing to break the stone of a hardened heart. What's the greater miracle? I don't know, but they're awful hard um, as we look at this. But let's follow along. This is a bold, it's a direct prayer by Elijah. It's also, I want to make a note, it's very relational. I mean, if we looked at the 450 prophets last week, they're kind of throwing Hail Marys out there. They're hoping something sticks. And so they pray. Baal, just heaving them up there. Nothing relational, just some distant deity they're hoping somehow comes through. But Elijah's is very relational. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you a definition of prayer simply this. Relational communication with God. It's really that simple. Relational communication with God. Not liturgical communication necessarily. Relational. It's about being in relationship. We see that from Elijah. But what happens next is shocking. I think by the contrast to false prophets' experience. It's instantaneous, it's miraculous, and it's spectacular. But God does something here in verse 38 and 39. The fire of the Lord fell. It consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And so the fire comes. It doesn't just take care of the offering. It doesn't just take care of the wood. But this fire actually burns up the stones. Try that one with your lighter. 
And then if that's not enough, it licks up all the water. God's just showing off now. I mean, he's just saying, you got, you got to check this out. We're not, we're not just going to take care of this offering. We're, we're going to take care of it all. I mean, think of it. Stone, wood, all of it, poof, gone. Gone. All of it. And it was drenched in water. Yeah, God's showing off, no doubt. All the people are watching this. They never read this story before. They're all there. What a contrast. I mean, remember the prophets last week of Baal? They're wailing and wild ritual for better part of a day, and they're met with dead silence. But Elijah prays. But a minute, it was met with incredible results. Why the difference? That's the one who's addressed, obviously. The one true God was addressed, and this confrontation clearly revealed Yahweh is the one true God. And by the way, remember Elijah's name means Yahweh my God. I mean, that's, that's his mission is in his name, is declaring that Yahweh is the one true God. And here we read this courageous prayer is met with calculating power. And this calculating power is meant to draw people back to God. Now, the sign of fire is not new. Fire has been a sign of God's divine presence. Israel knew this. Israel knew when God led his people through the wilderness, he led them. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Leviticus 9, 23 and 24, we read about Moses and Aaron. They offer this offering, and fire comes down and consumes the offering. Judges 6, 21, Gideon offered a sacrifice in preparation for the deliverance of Midian, and fire consumed the sacrifice. When fire came from heaven, God was showing up powerfully. Now the people in verse 39 through 40, we're told, respond in true belief and worship. And Elijah calls for total commitment by commanding the prophets of Baal to be seized and executed. In other words, God means business. He's not going to take lightly those who mock him, profane his name, and, and try to steer away and lead away his people. He will not be disrespected and mocked. God must deal with this because of who he is. But in grace... We read his grace, too, that he can forgive. He can give a new start. Now, as we read on, though, we read another aspect of prayer. Follow along, verse 41 to 46. Now, Elijah said to Ahab, by the way, he's still ordering Ahab around. Now, I just think that's so interesting because Ahab's this king and he's in charge, but he's really not in charge. Elijah is. He says to Ahab, hey, go up, eat, and drink for the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. I mean, it's not raining yet. Elijah hears it, though. He hears the thunder. He hears the pelting of rain. It's not even raining yet. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up now. Look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. He said, go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. He said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so the heavy shower does not stop you. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was heavy shower and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Elijah seeks an audience with the king 
because he had a message to deliver. There's this excitement of the dramatic events is really further, I think, further enhanced and heightened by this sound Elijah says he hears. Now, this is a promise, verse 41, or um, 1 Kings 17, 1, the first promise is delivered. 1 Kings 18, 1, you see the answer starts to set in motion. And so when God said, go show yourself to Ahab, that meant Elijah had to first obey God before God would release the rain to satisfy the parched soil. Elijah did obey. And he confronted Ahab and all the false prophets, and obedience was key here, and it's key in your life. It appears Elijah's confidence in God is so real that he hears the sound of this promised rain through the ears of faith. And so he claims this promise. Once he's on top of this mountain, he comes before God in prayer, and from his example, I want us to learn several principles for communicating with God. There's a lot of application here. One is Elijah separated himself. He climbs a mountain to do business with God. Now, we don't need to climb a mountain to get serious in prayer, but privacy is awful important because we need to get alone with our thoughts. It frees us from distractions so we can listen to the voice of God. And this is where the discipline of prayer begins. It really doesn't matter if you like that. It's just, it's just the way it is if you want to connect with God. It's relational. Solitude's essential for prayer. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you're going to go pray, go in private and close the door. <laughs> and then talk to your Father in heaven. And so privacy's significant. And if you're not disciplined in that, why don't you start small, just 10 minutes. Maybe make a list of the things you, you love about God and, 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 and that you want to praise him for and, and spend a few minutes doing that. And maybe there's some needs of people you want to pray for, start small. Open your Bible, read a couple minutes. Just start small. But discipline yourself. Pick the morning, whatever works best. But etch it in stone. Prayer is significant. And you can have confidence when you spend time with God in prayer. Elijah humbled himself. The posture we see on Mount Carmel showed that Elijah didn't approach God arrogantly. He sat humbly. He came sincerely. It underscores he didn't take credit for the routing of the prophets. Courageous prayer is humble prayer before the true victor, God. Elijah was confident and specific. Now notice the active waiting for God's response. Go up now, look towards the sea. He waited for a specific answer for a specific prayer. Elijah had prayed so specifically and confidently for God to fulfill his promise of rain that he had no doubt his servant would see storm clouds on the horizon. The people had abandoned Baal and returned to the Lord, and now Elijah was absolutely certain God would lift the covenant curse for their, for their peace, for their good, and for his glory. Elijah was persistent and fervent, verse 33 and 34. The servant's eyes were trained on the sea, and Elijah just waited for a sign. Now, if you're a prayer warrior, you understand this. You understand how it is to pray for something for years and not see an answer yet. And maybe not in this lifetime. You know, though, persistence in coming before the throne of God 
in a sense, saying, God, I'm not going to let go. I'm, 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 I'm going to seek you on this. I'm going to trust you on this, and I'm going to bring my child. I'm going to bring my grandchild. I'm going to bring my friend before you, that they would know that you are the one true God. And so you come before God year after year after year. Keep at it. Press on. Twice in Elijah's, remember when he heals this widow's son, three times he prays. And here it's seven times, and I'm pretty confident he would keep, he would keep at it if, if an eighth, ninth, and tenth time came. And not only that, the answer on the seventh time isn't necessarily resounding. And maybe some of us would debate going, gosh, it's not much of a cloud. I mean, size of your fist? I mean, is that enough to get excited about rain? But look what he does. It came about, verse 44, the seventh time. I mean, he's persistent. Behold a cloud as small as a man's hands coming up from the sea. And he said, Elijah, go up, say to Ahab, it's going to rain. <laughs> I mean, rain's coming. Get your umbrella. It might only look like a hand, but this is a promise of God. And it's going to rain. And by the way, notice Ahab listens to him. Pretty interesting. Ahab had, whether it's an element of faith or fear, we don't know, but he responds. But Elijah was persistent and fervent. Matter of fact, that's the testimony of James 5, 17 to 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain in the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Anybody want Elijah for a prayer partner? <laughs> I mean, that's the guy I want praying for me, right? Persistent, courageous, confident, expectant. He acted on a small cloud. He had spiritual vision. Then we get to verse 45, 46, maybe the most overlooked part of this encounter. Came about a little while, sky grew black, clouds, wind. There's a heavy shower, not just a sprinkle, it's It's coming. Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. If you weren't sure it was yet, I don't know how you couldn't think that, he girded up his loins, outran Ahab to Jezreel. That's right. Outran him. Ahab rode. I have seen how fast horses can go. They can boogie. He outruns them. And it doesn't necessarily say here, but if we were to do the geographic measurement, we're talking about 20 miles. This is a hike. And God gives Elijah a new strength. And he outruns the chariot. You mean the God who sends wind helps Elijah to run like the wind, and he beats him. He has this new strength available. And this reminds me, we need new strength, don't we? I mean, there's times some of you right now are like, I don't have much in the tank. I, I need strength. Learn from Elijah. He gives new strength. As a matter of fact, Isaiah the prophet said, those who wait upon the Lord, like Elijah, will renew their strength. Another translation says they'll gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and they won't grow weary. They'll walk. They won't, go, they won't go faint. If you want a new strength, if you need new strength, pray. Go to God in prayer. And like Elijah, 
Like Isaiah prophesied, he'll give you a new strength. Our memory verse on the back says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It's really that simple. Come before God. Say, God, this is what's going on. I'm wiped out. I got nothing in the tank. I'm confused, disillusioned. I don't know what's going on. And God says, here, throw it my way. I'm going to give you a new strength. That's the promise. That's what Elijah's showing us. He gives a new strength. This part of the story ends with a triumphant explanation point. God's demonstrated his power. His people have returned to their covenant relationship with him. Elijah's modeled this humbled prayer, and he stood as a vessel used of God. But what's next for Elijah? I wonder, you think Ahab will come to repentance? What about his wife? Oh, you got to come back. you got to come back next week. And we're going to look at what happens after this. But we need to gain right here principles regarding prayer. You see, there's a link between the physical world and the spiritual world. That's prayer. The Holy Spirit links up our prayers with the plan and the power of God. And so we need to take this thing called prayer seriously. Prayer is our most effective tool when all is said and done. I mean, we need to come before God in prayer if we're going to see him move. And in contrast to the methods of Baal's prophets, prayer is stunningly simple and effective. I mean, Elijah knew what God wanted from his people. And so Elijah sought God. He went to God in prayer. How about you? Are you? Will you? Are you trying to battle this life empty-handed? Prayer unleashes God's power to work like nothing else. I love this t-shirt I saw years ago. Get on your knees and fight like a man. <laughs> I like that. So totally contrasts the world's idea. Prayer. It takes prayer to ignite and set fire answers. Prayer is our most effective tool. And the second one, prayer can be exciting, no doubt, but it often takes much energy. Why is that? Because you're moving to a different realm. You're coming from the physical into the spiritual. And that's not always easy. You might be a little bit like me where you bow in prayer and say, God, thank you for this day. Would you work in such and such life? Oh, i got to get the meatloaf out of the freezer. Oh, that's right, i got to do this. Anybody ever happen? You're mid-prayer, all of a sudden, wham, your mind is somewhere else. It takes work to pray. Yeah, you're, all, you're shaking your head, you know it. It takes time to press on. But the more we do it, it seems the more the Holy Spirit shapes us and cultivates in us in a greater focus, but it doesn't just happen overnight. We need to press on through it. Maybe that's why God says, just let it go first. Just, just let it go so we can get busy here in prayer. But it takes energy. It's hard to focus. There's disruptions. You need to call your mind back into it. It's easier to study prayer. It's even to watch it in the life of another person is easier than to practice the discipline of it. Because prayer at times is grappling with God on behalf of his people. But if you really believe God's able to do exceedingly more, if you really believe he cares, you'll keep at it. You'll press on. Prayer can be exciting, but it often takes much energy. I truly hope you and I can learn these lessons on prayer this morning from Elijah. If we hope to see God move, to demonstrate his power, 
and to see his name exalted on high, might you and I press on with biblical prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I thought about um, this week, this moment of closing in prayer. And Lord, it just seems the one thing that has kept surface is, Lord, would the end result of our time this morning would be that we would seek you with a greater desire and intensity so that your name would be honored. We would see you move and would give you glory. That's what we pray. Draw us to a greater dependence upon you. Help my brothers and sisters and myself create and cultivate a greater discipline of prayer so we can see you move. So your name would be known in our community. The one true God, Yahweh. Help us to be zealous for that, God. It's your name, Jesus, I pray.